accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. We're continuing our run through DS9. We are up to Whispers, which is episode 14 of the second season. First aired on the 6th of February, 1994. Teleplay credit goes to Paul Coyle and Michael Piller. Story credit goes to Paul Coyle, directed by Les Landau. In this episode, upon returning from a mission to the Parada system, O'Brien begins to notice the crew acting strange around him and suspects there may be some unknown influence at work. Clay, we're joined by you. How are you? I'm good. Finally, finally, an episode where we hear about O'Brien's sexy letters to his wife. Yeah, <laughs> that was one of my notes, actually. <laughs> Just, I didn't mishear that, right? That is what he said? He, say, he says it in a very noir voice. Uh, I hope they enjoyed reading my sexy letters to my wife. But um, we're also joined by a special guest. This is our first patron-joined uh, episode. We're joined by Neil from uh, the Roy Keane Versus podcast. Neil, how are you? Yeah, thank you. Uh, hi, Wes. I'm great. Uh, and hello, Clay. And thanks for the um, plug for my podcast about English football and I'm sure the Venn diagram of Star Trek and English football fans is huge. Well, Neil, it was nice having you. Everyone, <laughs> we're done with this episode. Neil uh, thought that this was appropriate to plug his podcast. No, but it's, you guys should listen to uh, his podcast about Neil uh, Roy Keane, who is a footballer, although he's never played in the NFL, so he can't be very good. Um, and yeah, do you want to just give a little plug to yourself before we get into this? It's It's an interesting podcast. I actually... Don't know who this person is, but I listened to all the episodes because I thought it was a, a high tier thing. Uh, thank you, uh, Roy Keane. I guess is I, I don't know who's his equivalent. Is he sort of like I, I guess Spielberg in the Real Ripe, Real Rotten that you guys did recently, where you can sort of pick out a load of strands of his career and talk about different things based on them. So I guess he's most famous. He was at the World Cup, which is obviously a huge thing outside of the US where nobody cares, and he walked out on the Irish team. Yeah, uh, you know, like the pinnacle of his career, and he just went home in a huff because uh, he had a fight with the manager. So is that <laughs> he's famous for being a hard man in an era where football is seen as going a bit soft, um, and he's he's kind of he speaks truth to power a lot. I kind of compared him to Larry David in one episode because he just says the things that you kind of wish you could say. So he's a kind of fascinating figure, and I grew up with him. And now, as a grown-up man who's about to get married, I'm sort of like. Jesus, have I wasted my life idolizing this man? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I can't think of a equivalent American, like I think of someone like Dennis Rodman, but Rodman isn't particularly incisive, but he's that kind of like yeah, troubled I, star yeah. at some level. Clay, I don't know if you can think of anyone who's the American equivalent of that. Not real, at least not in this era, maybe previous eras. Maybe, yeah. I'm thinking the closest, that just the little that I know based on what you said, it sounds like almost like a Muhammad Ali type. You know what? Yeah. Comparing little... anybody to Ali is fraught with danger, but that is of a course, very, yeah. It's a very decent comparison, I think. Interesting. Anyway, check out uh, Roy Keane Versus. It's Neil's podcast, but we are going to continue our Star Trek coverage. So we watched Whispers, and we're going to take a break, play an audio clip, and then me, Neil, and Clay are going to come back and break down Whispers. You know, I think I will lie down. But you haven't eaten a bite. <sighs> just don't seem to have an appetite right now. I don't know if there was anything wrong with the stew or not. When I went back later to check, she'd already put it into the disposal. 
But all I could think of as I looked at her was that this was not my Keiko. All right, everybody. So we're here to talk about Whispers, which is, I think I said it was episode 14 of the second season. We're moving through the second season uh, at a fairly decent clip. We had Armageddon game before this, which established that O'Brien likes coffee. That's brought back in this episode. But, um, Neil, I'll let you lead this off however you want to open the discussion about this episode. You know how the show works. You can just bring up whatever you want. We'll take it from there. But what did you think in general about the episode Whispers, which is uh, starring Cole Meany, our own Chief O'Brien? Yeah, I mean, am I wrong or is there a lot of O'Brien and Meany in season two? He, well, he's sort of been clumped in the middle. They've had a lot of him in the middle. Uh, he wasn't too prominent in the first part. So I, I actually had the impression that he's actually started to get some stuff to do because I think me and Clay had a bunch of episodes where he was really just sitting in the background. Yeah, you can actually see him like listening to his headphones asleep in a chair, I think, in some of those yeah, and I, I kind of feel when I when I see him on screen and he's not central to events, I do sort of feel like it's a missed opportunity because I, I I think he's a I don't know you were talking the last episode with Amy is he a great actor or is he just great at being this type of character? <laughs> yeah. um, and I sort of think the latter is true, being slightly put upon, a bit pissed off, and actually that was one of my favorite things about the episode is how pretty much from the get go he's just a really suspicious motherfucker, isn't he? Yes, the um he just. Like, I I gotta say that, like, these types of episodes are my least favorite type of Star Trek episodes, the kind of one character experiencing some sort of anomaly, uh, because I feel like by the end, it's normally all comes out in the wash and you just get back to normal. And I hate those episodes. And what I loved was that from the get go, he's just kind of giving everybody side eye. Yes. What DS9 does is that they they have they've started to push O'Brien as a little bit of a curmudgeon more than he was on TNG, where he was very amiable with everybody. Yeah. Um, he's definitely a little bit more grumpy here, uh, and to Phil Clay and when I was talking to Amy, I, I wasn't sure if we were having a debate about whether or not Colmini is a good actor or just a very good character actor at playing this character, because first of all, I like, I like that you assumed that I didn't listen to the last episode <laughs> because you assumed correctly. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, we, we came to the decision just based on everything I've seen, including movie roles. He basically plays this character in everything. Yes. Yeah. So uh, I think he's, I think he's very effective at playing this character, and I love Miles O'Brien in the Star Trek universe. But he is not a Brent Spiner, Patrick Stewart type actor. He's just very good at playing this put upon uh, everyman, uh, which Chief O'Brien fits to a T. But Clay, what do you think of uh, Whispers? <laughs> we might have to push back because Neil, I'm going to push back. I love these kind of Star Trek episodes, and I think that this is a uh, this is a good one to me I, I like this one and this one feels very unique that something ds9 hasn't done yet this effectively I think but clay what do you think uh I liked it um I the first note that I have actually <clears throat> excuse me is um which I then crossed out is uh is this all just a surprise party for O'Brien uh, so I was gl- I was glad that they very quickly were like this is not a surprise party for O'Brien because usually that's how these stories you know the the uninspired version of these stories play out as someone gets like someone gets super uh, paranoid about something and then it's like you know oh we were just it was an anniversary party or they do it really well and it turns into David Fincher's The Game which is a great movie um, but no I I actually I really enjoyed this I am uh, I'm a big fan of conspiracy stories and 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 paranoia stories and I thought this was a really fun way to uh, subvert it a bit. 
I'll, if I'm honest, I didn't know where it was going, and I wasn't sure that that was a good thing. Um, like, by the end, before they give you the twist, I was kind of thinking, like, what the hell is the point? Like, th there was no, like... And there was no real stakes, it seemed, unless I am completely forgetting something. But it just seemed like he was being paranoid, but there wasn't really any solid ground to what he was being paranoid about. And then they throw the twist and he goes, oh, oh, yeah, okay, that's good. Like, so it, it, took, it took a while to get there. It seems, like, it seems like it was written backwards. You know, it seems like they went from, oh, well, if we have a replicant who thinks he's a, he's a human. Uh, and then they went back from there. But, um... That concept in and of itself, I really enjoy. Like, it's, uh, I, I'm always for, um, you know, the android or who doesn't, who thinks it's a person, doesn't realize it's an android, the Blade Runner kind of uh, uh, Terminator salvation kind of thing, if you will. Um, yeah, body, body so, yeah, snatchers. It, it's basically an inverted yes. body snatchers, yeah. Yeah, it's a body snatchers from the from the point of view of a person who's been snatched, basically. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> And uh, yeah, no, I thought I thought it was good. I thought it was fun. I don't know if it has much rewatch value, but I think it was pretty good. So I, I I'll throw it. this back to you, Neil. But I'll just say that um, the I remember watching this the first time that I, I ever uh -huh. saw it because I I remember this episode. The ending was a complete shock to me. Like I wasn't expecting that to be the resolution. I thought the first time I watched this, I was like, oh, I've seen this before. This is the characters in holodeck program that he's not aware he's in like a fantasy world mm. setup. Mm. And so I was expecting that to happen. And then at the end, I think the ending of the episode elevates it a lot over what yeah. has come before it. And on rewatch, I think it actually doesn't hold up too well. There's there's a couple of examples of movies and TV episodes like this where once you even know what the outcome is, you can still watch it and gain a lot from it. I don't think this one holds up well in that regard. I think it actually there's a, a lot of holes you start to notice after you are aware of everything that's going on, but Oh, the ending is still really effective. So, Neil, uh, why, why don't you talk about uh, if you had any problems specifically with this one, or if it's just kind of the this sort of genre of episode that you don't care for? Yeah, I, well, I feel like in season two, I'm um, there's there's things that are in the good episodes or the kind of three out of five episodes. There are things that are elevating them, and also things that are kind of dragging them back. There's this push and pull, and so in this episode. I feel like Meany's performance and his character work up to this point elevates it. And I think the neat ending elevates it. And then there's other stuff dragging it down. Like, as you said, Clay, the stakes, like he's, what are the stakes as he flies off in the shuttle? Like, yeah. he's, what is it? He's abandoning his family and doing what? And why is he doing it? And it's just kind of like, you're along for the ride. And then on the rewatch, I did get to that point and think, hold on a second. Shouldn't he be more upset? Even a throwaway line. I know it's a 38 minute TV show or whatever, but there could have been something to just give some level of, oh, this is really weighing heavily on his mind, rather than, oh, this is kind of a fun puzzle he's figuring out. Yeah. 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 I, I, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, um, <clears throat> I, I, it felt like I, I kept thinking about all of the possible things it could be uh, because they never gave you uh, any concrete idea of what it might be, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. So, like, what, by the time he leaves... He's all paranoid and people are turning on him, but there's not really a concrete idea of what he's afraid of, right? They're, he's yeah. just, because like they, he says like, oh, they got to you, but they're not really giving you any sort of, like they're not establishing him thinking that he's on a different, if he, that, thinking that he might be on a holodeck or that he's on a, 
he's not on Deep Space Nine, or right. that people he's not are in his being, reality for yeah, some or that people are being replaced. Like, mm-hmm. there's no real sense of how these why these people are turning on him, at least from his point of view. Do you do you think that the problem there is that the stuff that's happening is not weird enough? Like, I I thought that the before the cold open, one of the things where he thinks something suspicious is happening is that Cisco is talking to his wife, which to me, yeah, yeah. does. It doesn't really seem that suspicious to me. Like, I don't understand why he would hide behind a column after seeing yeah. that unless he thinks they're having an affair or something. This is what I said about him being suspicious from the start. That's one of the notes I've written down is there's nothing crazy about a teacher talking to the father of one of her pupils or talking to the ship's commander. And yet he dies behind a pillar. Yeah. But Just it's 530 in the morning and she shouldn't be up there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... On the other hand, the stuff that I think works best is the Keiko stuff, which on rewatch when when he kisses her and stuff, like you yeah, yeah. you get a totally different sense of why she is why yeah. this is one of the weirdest things that's going on. And also maybe what plays into it a little bit is the fact that the characters are acting this way because they are, they themselves the other officers are not sure if O'Brien is a replicant or not. They they're trying to figure it out as the story is progressing. I, I guess that was what was kind of throwing me off a little bit too, <clears throat> is in, in retrospect, at what point, excuse me, <clears throat> sorry, I'm getting over a cold. Um, at what point do they realize that he's a replicant? Because they seem to be suspicious of him right off the bat. And they, re- they realize it right before he escapes in the runabout. So, so why are they oh. suspicious of him so early? Because they've received... Uh, coded messages. He finds those logs with the coded messages from the rebels to Cisco, and he doesn't know oh, what right. they're, they're about. So, th- Cisco has been warned by these aliens that they think O'Brien has been captured and there's a replicant on board, but gotcha. Cisco can't prove yeah. it at that point. Yeah, I forgot. Thank you. Yeah. And there's just, I just, uh, there's just not, there's, as you said, Clay, there's kind of like, there's just not enough of a, there's just not enough of a, a connection that you can make between what he says about the Paradins, which is they're obsessed with security. I mean, correct me if I miss something, but being obsessed with security doesn't equate to sending a replicant through. Like, he doesn't say they're conniving, they're sneaky, they're investigating new technology that's dangerous. It's like they're obsessed with security. And so from that, they've invented a replicant and sent him in. That seems like a bit of a leap. Well, I, I think the security, if I'm understanding, I don't think the episode actually says this, but I think the security thing is that O'Brien as the replicant is supposed to get inside how the security is being done and then relay that back to the assassins Ooh. on That's some a lot level. of ground for the audience to make up, though, isn't it? It is. I, I, I feel like it's kind of like I, I actually don't really understand why O'Brien is in charge of that. I feel like Odo should mm. be taking the helm more than O'Brien is on that kind of a thing. But Odo, they've removed Odo for the nice little Odo scene with him. So Odo is not present for the first half of the episode. That but, was that was great. I thought the Odo thing was really good. Um where he comes back and he's totally in, he's totally in with O'Brien, and the next time you see him, he's totally t- switched over. I thought that was good. I like. Yeah, that. he's obviously talked to Cisco in the interim yeah. and, and realized what's going on. But I mean, I don't, I don't disagree with you guys that I think that it's, it's maybe all style and not too much good substance is what's driving the stuff that's going on. So would you, would you think that the stuff needs to be a little bit more weird, or do you think that the reaction just needs to be calibrated more properly for what they do? If that makes sense. As in, like, do you, do you think that O'Brien's... Do you think the weirdness stuff should be weirder for the sake of driving O'Brien to these drastic things? Or do you think that oh, the subtlety should just be built better to get him to that end point? Yeah, I, 
I mean, I'm always for making things more weird, especially in a paranoia episode. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't even know if 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 the things need to be more weird. I think it just needed to have a little bit more uh, drive for O'Brien. Um, you know, as I was saying before, just uh, a little bit more stakes involved to make his reactions more feel a little bit more warranted than than uh, um, than just him being uh, wary of. Let's. I mean, because you know, think about it this way. Uh, I kept thinking about it as a birthday party thing because his reactions felt like they were benign enough or the stuff that was mm. happening was benign enough that it would be something that ended up being very simple and, and just a misunderstanding. Um, so, yeah, I, I, it just, I think there just needs to be a little bit more oomph behind the, uh, behind the, the drive of the story a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, he, yeah. he should Neil. feel like his back is against the wall. He should feel like his back is against the wall, right? I mean, everyone's against him, even his own four-year-old daughter, three-year-old daughter. <laughs> does Molly like, know? Does Molly know what's that, happening? I, I wrote that down. Does Molly yeah. know or is she just a creepy little kid? I that think was, she's just being weird. a difficult kid. That, that would be, that's the way I hope it's written is that she's just going through a phase like Keiko tells him and that they didn't, for some reason, not tell Jake Sisko, but they told Molly O'Brien yeah. about what had gone on with her father. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, that, yeah, that seems but, more plausible. I mean, I, I guess as a kid... But, uh, you know, Neil, I, I interrupted magic- you, but you can go ahead. Oh, just as a kid, I guess in that kind of magic way, she might just recognize that something is different about her dad, but it just felt a bit, I don't know, it felt a bit half-baked. Sure. I I, like, you know, it's like, if this was a movie, you'd want them to think through the implications of everything. It's granted, it's a 40-minute TV show, but you sort of would love them to think through the implications, and in the best episodes they do, of, like, is there somebody from security following Replicant O'Brien around? Well, that I, is that the role of that engineer, sort of Maybe. that that engineer, the that's... Curtis, the little bitch. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he is I, such an asshole. I I think that they, I guess it's weird because they don't. The show doesn't really have time to talk about whether what they think is suspicious, right? Because the episode is a little bit hamstrung, and what, a fact about it is that it came in actually very under runtime. They had to pad it out with scenes, which you can kind of feel on some level. Um, the problem they had in the writer's room is that they, the show has to stick on O'Brien because you can't go to the other characters because every scene would be like, well, what the fuck is going on with O'Brien? Basically, like we need to track him and do all this stuff. So they're, they're forced to only give you O'Brien's perspective. And the most you get of the cast members are when he has a conversation with them, he leaves and then the camera lingers on them for a little bit. So they're a little bit stuck for time and they also can't flesh out the the plot of all the security stuff and everything else that's going on, you can't really get an insight into it because you're only stuck in O'Brien's point of view. And I think that might be the big problem with what you guys are picking up on. Yeah. I thought, I actually thought they were going to, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I actually thought that they were going to, uh, break, break their continuity as far as following him a couple times, especially after he goes in and talks to, um, Cisco. And then they kind of hung on Cisco, and I was like, "Well, you can't hang on him too long, because then you're cheating." But then they cut away, so uh, it, it ended up working pretty well. Um, but yeah, I mean, that is going to hamstring you to a little bit, having to only uh, focus on on just just him and have him driving the story. <laughs> is one of the padded scenes a scene where he just hangs out and listens to the the logs for like five minutes? It might be. <laughs> it might be the fifty seven times he orders a cup of coffee too from a replicator. Man. I will tell you, the one thing that I realized, <clears throat> I don't know why I only realized this now, um, I th- maybe because it plays so prominently in this episode, but if I was in Starfleet 
I would be so fat. I mean, <laughs> when, when he goes to dinner and his wife's just like, here's all your favorite things. Like, well, she didn't cook that. She just got it replicated, right? Yeah. Oh, my God. It was like, at that point, it dawned on me the, what the... <laughs> The scope of what the food replicator means. <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god, oh my god!" I would just, I would, I would be, I would eat everything. It's like I would a, have like my favorite thing every night. How is everybody in Starfleet not like eight hundred pounds? Yeah, especially since we we had that episode where uh, O'Brien likes to eat those like sugar lollipop stick things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me of that. I mean, uh, so Neil, I, I would get, I would get weird with it too. I would be like replicator. Could you, could you materialize me uh, a fistful of chocolate cake covered in hot sauce with uh, sparklers? On it? <laughs> okay, replicator, take away the sparklers now. I'm ready for it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I would the... break multiple replicators. Let's do it that way. <laughs> it's also kind of a uh, holiday resort vibe when you go to like a. Like if uh, Americans go to like the Caribbean or something and you're on like this yeah. resort living the life as outside the gates of the resort, the, you know, people living in like terrible conditions. Uh, yeah. It's kind of that with Bajor in DS9, I think, with their replicators. And can everything. I can I just tell you a, ta- a total tangent story based on that real quick? Sure. Yes. So I was in I was in Jamaica recently and uh, it was my first time ever being at a all inclusive resort type thing. So it took a, it took a little bit for me to get used to the idea of just being able to walk in and just, you know take whatever and order whatever and i was at a bar and i was waiting for a drink and um this the server came over with a plate of fish and chips and and says this is uh for the woman behind you would you mind grabbing it so i tapped her on the shoulder she came over and uh and she looks at the fish and chips and she goes do you have any tartar sauce and the waitress says no i'm sorry and she just kind of goes okay never mind and just walks away yeah and there was the waitress (laughs) is standing there holding a plate of fish and chips and I'm looking at her, and she's looking at me, and it was like the most wasteful thing I've ever seen. And I could not believe that how cavalier this woman just, just <laughs> ordered this food and then just walked away. Like, I, sh- I, I don't know. It just that really had an effect on me. I didn't eat it either because I had just had dinner. But had I not, I would have eaten it. I would not have let that food go to waste. I felt very bad disgusting. she dumped it in the trash. That is terrible behavior. One more thought on the food replicator while we're here. Sure. Oh, what happens if you ask for like a party sub? Like, like a, a like eight foot like long an eight sub. foot party sub. Yeah. Does that can it do that or is it like does it have to be something that'll fit inside the little like <laughs> thing there or is it like w- would it come out like soft serve ice cream where like yeah. you got to keep like pulling it out like taffy as it's, yeah or as like, it's a, like a uh, the of, this eight foot sub <laughs> the bandanas out of a magician's sleeve or something yeah, like. exactly. <laughs> I, I would, if I if I was on if I was on a starship every time I ordered from the replicator. Before it made it, you would hear the replicator audibly groan. <laughs> Another deeply unpleasant visual there, uh, pulling an eight-foot sub out of a replicator. That's the sort of thing that would get memed these days. Um, but wait, what if the food, what if the food, the replicated food doesn't actually consist of fats and carbohydrates and stuff like that? That's what we, we've had that discussion about, if you can be yeah. allergic to replicator food. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah good question. I didn't understand the whole point of the the beef stew thing. Well, I didn't. She doesn't like it, and he does like it. So why did he get so weirded out when she served it? That's quite nice of her. I, I think. Th- well, yeah. Go sorry, ahead. go go ahead, Clay. You can take oh, give I was your just, thought. I think you were going to say the the same thing I was going to say, which is go I on. think he thought it was poisoned or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what's 
Yeah, oh, okay. So it's just to show that he's already gone Suspicious. to the point where he thinks his wife might poison him. And yeah, I, I apparently, think that, apparently Keiko oh. never makes stuff that he likes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's too much of a lazy asshole to walk up to the replicator and just make it himself, apparently. But I think Maybe that, the, that was in his sexy letters to her. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the... Um, my understanding of that scene is that he is suspicious of her making this because she is trying to make him all of her, his favorite things to sort of soothe him, on, like to make him sure. feel more comfortable on some level. And he that makes him suspicious, apparently, because she doesn't make food that she will not eat, apparently. They have to eat or, the same thing. Or is she doing it to test him? How you do know, you mean? Because if, if she's making all of his favorite stuff, <clears throat> if, oh, he's I see. if he's rejecting it, maybe it's not actually O'Brien. That kind of I see. I see. That could sure. be the other way too. But yeah, he is he is suspicious that she's poisoned it, which is not the case. She hasn't done anything to it, but it's just it's showing his uh, his growing paranoia about what's going on. Imagine how bad of a cook you have to be to screw up replicator food. <laughs> You'd have to have a speech impediment, I suppose. Yeah, know, I guess. <laughs> so let's talk about the. Um... Could you order food? That was pre-poisoned. Like, is there? Could you say Ooh. I would like uh, a bowl of beef stew that's like thirty percent arsenic? Yeah, ground up glass, please. Yeah. <laughs> included. In. Um, well, this is that's very topical with all the Russian poisoning, I suppose. Yeah. At this point, yeah. So I'm we'll, not allowed to comment on that. Yeah, we'll have to. As uh, as Americans, we're free to comment on these things, but I think that Go the um, let's talk about the. The ending, because I think we all have a little bit of a problem with how it gets to the ending, and maybe the the plot itself is not great shakes, and a lot of it is held up on pretty rickety scaffolding. Um, I still like it. I still enjoy the how the how uh, the episode works and where it goes at the very end. The ending to me is an elevating part of this episode because because I think that they screwed up the production. But in my opinion, it actually elevates the material on some level. Uh, Iris Stephen okay. Bear is talking about how his great regret of this episode is that they didn't spend enough time with Replicant O'Brien at the very end. And yeah, I think yeah, totally. that the better way to go about it is that once real O'Brien comes into play, the episode switches its perspective to him. And you ignore uh, Replicant O'Brien. He has one line after that, which is, tell Keiko I love her. Uh -huh. And... The I know, patron thoughts are talking about this a lot, but the shocking thing to me about this episode, and I'll throw it to you, Neil, is it continues the Star Trek trope of, as far as I can tell, this replicant is O'Brien on some level. And they mm -hmm. are extremely cavalier that they kill him and he dies at the very end. And I feel so bad for replicant O'Brien at the very end because he was trying to be the hero and Cisco has that line. But what, what do you think? I think they should have given him a beard and called him uh, Mark O'Brien <laughs> sent him off <clears throat> to a different ship. Yeah, it, um, it, well, the other thing as well is that I was, I think maybe on the rewatch or maybe even first time around, I was like, well, I'm having fun with this, but holy God, they don't have long to wrap it up. All of this happens within five minutes. And yeah. it, if, as you say, they padded the episode out with the stuff where he turns into diehard O'Brien, you know, using his knowledge of the ship against everyone else. I would have loved them to find more time for this stuff. And like you said, there's a million ways of teasing it out. But yeah, Replicant O'Brien is a hero. And then, as you said, the switch to, oh, there's our O'Brien in inverted commas. It just comes and then Replicant O'Brien is kind of tossed off as, oh, he's dying. And he gets one cute sign-off line. But yeah, I want to see something between the two O'Briens. You know, I know technology at the time might have made that difficult. 
like how many curly haired actors they could find to shoot behind. But give me something like give me something. It's the same thing as when he shoots off in the shuttle bay. It's like, give me more like for Miles O'Brien, this every man to come face to face with himself who's in love with his wife, but is a replicant. Holy shit. That's mind blowing. Yeah. Um, Would you have how would you have feel? How would you have felt? How would you have felt if, um, in his escape from the ship, he had killed somebody? Like that guy who was shadowing Ooh. him. What if he had, like, shot him and killed him? What if he killed the Curtis? Yeah. Yeah. He kills the no, I mean, I'm, I'm serious. Like, it, does, that, does that change the way that the ending plays for you? If he's done something that is, even, even if it's unknowingly bad, he still has done something like drastic and, and terrible no i Absolutely. i would not have liked that if he if he had killed oh, somebody come on yeah. yeah you you'd have liked to have seen that i would this the problem i mean if it's a two-part episode yes because you've got time to dwell on the consequences for o'brien after that but at least to give the stakes at least to give the like cornered rat he's on it you know his back is against the wall for o'brien who seems like a decent bloke to do something like that that's at least letting me see that he really is up against it as we head into the final quarter. Instead yeah, of oh, he's going to order another, instead of he's going to order another coffee and, and <laughs> you know, like contemplate it. Oh, it's so interesting, this puzzle. And I thought it was a cute use of the logs, you know, to figure out the puzzle. But he's very cool about the fact that he's just left the ship and his family thinking everyone hates him and is betraying him in some way. Yeah, I, I, I think... Um... I think for the story that they were telling here, it's probably better that he didn't. But that being said, I think that there was a lot more that they could have explored. I I agree with you. If they had if they had stretched this to two parts and really got into, you know, some real consequences and and ideas about this character as as an actual being, yeah, um, that could have been really interesting. And 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 you know, you get into the kind of thing of like, well. Is is O'Brien is replicant O'Brien killing this guy something that regular O'Brien would have done if he was in the same situation? You get into that kind of fun stuff. Yes, uh, yeah. but unfortunately they don't have time. But I, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I think <clears throat> yeah, I think for this for this story, having him kill someone might not have been the right move. Um, well, I think it puts replicant O'Brien. If he kills somebody, it puts him in a bad light at the end, where he de- he kind of is more deserving of his fate. Which this. The way it plays out is like really tragic because he's trying to save the day on some level, and then he just gets shot and killed at the very end. Mm. And I it's, forget who shoots him. The one of is the Praden security oh, the guys. Okay, I yeah. can't remember if it was if it was a Praden or if it was a Starfleet guy. And I, I think that the like what the what the episode's saying and how not even what it's saying, but how it deals with the replicant factor at the very end is really the most interesting part of the episode to me. And maybe they could have dealt with it a little bit more, but uh, I'm inclined to agree that leading up to that is not all that great. But the the show's weird Star Trek's the franchise's weird insistence that identical copies of people are not real people is something that's very Star Trekky on some mm. reason. And I can't yeah. There's no good reason to me that this is not O'Brien and they did not just kill O'Brien. Is he is he a clone or is he a robot? The, so the writer of the episode said that they wanted to avoid using either of those terms. So they used the Blade Runner term <laughs> yeah. replicant because they, they just Android, the term from something else. Android wouldn't make a lot of I, he can't be an Android because he has a bio like the oh, Bashir's physical passes. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. right. Uh, it's a good scene. Yeah, and a clone, 
a clone feels i think the problem with the clone is that they would say oh it is o'brien at this point so they tried to make it more vague but i in, in my mind he he really is o'brien there's nothing about this character that it's not o'brien mm. and basically they've killed o'brien now not to get super nerdy here but uh does the existence of this replicant o'brien not like blow android or replicator or tech blow the roof off of the technical abilities because isn't isn't data unique in that he is such a high functioning android am i am i incorrect no so doesn't the doesn't the existence of this guy really kind of blow that like through the roof in terms of what they can do (laughs) as far as you know uh this the this side of the borg this is the most advanced artificial human that's ever been created right yes and and they just throw him in the trash. <laughs> they do. They don't really give him a great out. So, I, what's your what's your take on that? Like, did you have a, a thought one way or the other? Um, no, about- I I was just I was just curious because I it's it it was it's one of those things where I I think it's uh <clears throat> I think it's along the same lines as what you were saying about how they kind of don't even give a second thought to killing him, and they've in the past had episode long discussions over whether or not these artificial things are actually, you know, beings or humans or sentient or whatever. And, uh, they just, you know, take, take him out and don't really talk about it ever again. Well, they, they, as he's dying, laying there dying, they're just casually talking about him. Like standing, yeah. <laughs> standing over There's him. There's no, like a... it, uh, it, it would, you know what it would have been nice? It would have been nice if Bashir had a line where he was like lamenting the fact that they just shot him. And we're like, you, 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 we should have you, treating him more like a like an actual human, or at the very least, someone who who should be studied. You know. Yes, and I I think that they they kind of save it at the end with the tell Keiko I love her line is a great great final line for the character, and then the mm-hmm. the show ends at that point. And I don't know, like I'm torn. I, I don't I don't think I wanted more of that in this episode. I like how little they actually deal with it because probably delving into it, I would have been less satisfied with their answer as about what's going on. So I, I think I'm happy on it for that level. I just, I think it's pretty clever at the end, but Neil, what did, did you have any, uh, did you have any laments or like uh, enthusiastic response to the actual last five minutes of the episode where it's all revealed? Yeah. I've just been thinking, I mean, what if, if the Paradans had stunned replicant O'Brien and real O'Brien had killed him? Mm. For whatever reason, I mean, you can write you can write a better reason, but um, well, he he's an everyman, right? Maybe he's freaked out at this guy who looks exactly like him and has behaved exactly like him. Um, but just to give it a bit more, I mean, the fact that Clay, you couldn't remember who killed him, sort of says a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, it could say that I was half asleep, but I didn't. <laughs> what if um, the well, what if the Paradins at the end they had shot him and stunned him, and the Paradins yeah. drag him off? Because the Paradins don't view these things as sort of legitimate yes. life forms, and then you're yeah, left yeah. with what are they going to do to him? Yeah. There you go. It's it's there, there's room for. It. I mean, it's it's kind of the opposite problem you had with Second Chances, Clay, where they they don't kill Tom Riker at the very end of the episode, and right. you're surprised that he's allowed to exist in the universe. But yeah, this is the opposite. They they cleaned up the case where this fake O'Brien is no longer uh, something that could come back on any level. Oh man, imagine if they hadn't killed him, and then they had like later on. Yes. They run into him, but he's got like yes. a little messed up face or something. So it takes him a while to realize it's O'Brien. Like they, they, having having like messed up, messed up replicant O'Brien as a recurring character would have been pretty great. 
he's like the uh, the aliens in insurrection or whatever just constantly needs his face to be pulled pulled tight yeah there you go um did you guys have anything else uh any special thoughts about this one my my notes are pretty much just really that it's really just sort of going through the uh the early bits and then why people are so dismissive of the replicants and the patrons are actually deal with a few more questions but uh claire neil did you have anything you wanted to add before we go to patron thoughts i don't think so uh, well i guess i should add as as uh, i did request wes that when you were going to have me on it was a meanie centric episode sure uh, and you certainly haven't let me down in that regard um because you because you I, know him right well <laughs> basically all irish people know each other yeah um, that's what i've been told. i bet i seriously i bet i'm probably i could find two i'm probably two degrees away from. <laughs> did, I'm I, did I mention i'm also irish <laughs> Hey, with a name like that, how could you not be? We're all Irish on St. Patrick's Day, remember? Um, and uh, yeah, I guess I, I sort of, uh, I didn't like Star Trek until long after at least Next Generation had ended. I kind of got into it around 2000, 2001. Um, and I don't, I sort of feel like in season two, at least, they're leaning into what Meanie is very good at. Yeah. Uh, which is that put upon stuff we were talking about. Uh, and it's kind of amazing to see they still give him really stinky lines. <laughs> like when he's talking to Cisco about Jake's education, she has, uh, they have him say, I'm sure Keiko will work that much harder to help him, which is just like, <laughs> <laughs> nobody says that. And definitely not when they nail O'Brien's writing, which is like in the scene with Bashir, I think they kind of nail like why, you know, he, he's the sort of man who would be grumpy at a doctor sticking his finger in his unmentionable. Yeah. And instead he's suddenly saying stuff like, I shall work all the harder to, like that's not a sentence anyone says, let alone, O'Brien, as we kind of come to know and love him, yeah, I I did, I, he's not a brown noser like that. That's a, that's a little bit of a brown nosy line, I think. I I did see some of myself in that in that scene with Bashir when he's like, "Why are you doing this to me?" I uh, oh wait a minute, am I dying? I th- I'm <laughs> dying. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's me every time I go to the doctor. Did did that moment land for you? Do you remember? Do you, did you think that he actually was on to something at that point? I'm just wondering about the strength of the writing. They don't deal no. with it very long. No, no, I, I just assumed it was another i i assumed he did it the same reason i would do it you know just the you know, uh, just to get blank, worried blank paranoia you know yeah yeah um i i i really like o'brien um he so it's it's really interesting with these shows uh how i don't know if it's just a matter of having so many people to deal with or having to figure out how to handle these characters who need to have their own characters, but often early on get overtaken by the need to have sci-fi scripts or whatever. Um, but in the second season of these shows, they start to really figure out who these characters are. And even though, even though O'Brien was on TNG, he, he, they never really figured him out. He was just sort of like, yeah, just go do your thing. He was so the, he, the most effective background extra is the, yeah, is the best way to just, describe him. He was him, you know, he's, he's yeah. doing the same thing. And it stands out from the way everybody else on TNG was doing stuff. But they're actually getting into him in uh, this season and starting to flesh him out. And I think he's so clear uh, of a character, even from the way he wears his uniform, which is my favorite thing about him. I think I've mentioned that before. He's the only person on, in all of Star Trek who rolls his sleeves up and like yeah. unzips his thing like, he's, like it's a... Like it's a, like a like he's working in a garage or something, yeah. which I yeah, I yeah love. that's great. Like that alone, that plus that look plus his general demeanor 
writes that character itself. I'm surprised they even decided to do more with him because if I was a writer on the show, I'd be like, well, we don't need to do anything for him. We've got he's he's going to take care of everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's a he's that kind of character that the audience can relate to easily. You know, we have a right. harder time relating to Dax as a trill and Odo the shapeshifter and uh, being in command of a, a space station, but. O'Brien is the, the regular guy who has a job and a family on this at some level. Mm-hmm. And he's, it's actually leads into some of the best and the worst parts where the best aspects are. He's just the kind of regular everyman that you empathize with. And in worst case, me and Amy talked about this a little bit. Star Trek has so interestingly done so little with steady relationships that his Keiko and Molly time is unfortunate because the actresses for that are not really up to snuff in what they need to do on that level. So he's kind of, his worst scenes are honestly the family scenes on some level. And it's not his fault, but it's just that the, the, their relationship is never written particularly well. And it always is being played against relatively weak acting that doesn't serve the material. Yeah. In this episode in particular, um, I, (laughs) I, I thought to myself, man, Keiko's a, terrible actor but i wasn't saying the the actress was a terrible actor although she's not super great but there's this the scene the first scene where she's lying to him about what she's doing yeah yeah she's really bad at it she's like no i'm, uh, I'm not doing anything weird yeah and like it, and i was like oh wow is that an interesting acting choice where she's making keiko a really bad liar or is she just not very good at her job yeah and um it's, i, I I, I think generally she's kind of not really worth writing home about. I thought the scene with her and uh, the dinner scene was was better. I thought she was pretty good in that scene, but generally I don't. She's not. She, he, O'Brien definitely is underserved by her as uh, as someone to play off. Of. Yeah, yeah, it, that's it, a nice way of putting it. It's tough. Um, let's see here. So because you just think in the opening scenes, you just think if there was somebody that uh, that Meanie had real chemistry with, yeah. how much richer those scenes would be. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They. They never feel like a real couple to me. They feel like two actors playing a couple on like a theater stage yeah, or something I, like that. I was thinking the same Both thing. Both trying their best. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. There's a certain scene. Shit, I can't remember which one it is. Uh, is it where he comes up and hugs her from behind? Maybe. Oh, it, it, it's like the whole, the whole staging of it felt like a play. Yeah. And it was like he comes in and she's talking to him and then he sits down and is like griping about his day or whatever. And it, it felt like a, like a community theater play. Yeah. And I think part of that was the staging, but I also think part of it was because, as as you were saying, Neil, Cole Meany is good at the O'Brien character, but when you start to expand it out, he kind of drops off a bit. So when it's just him doing, like, normal conversation yeah. stuff or trying to emote in a way other than, like, grumpiness, it's mm. not quite as believable. And playing him in that manner against her who is you know like as i said he's underserved by her as a as a foil uh it yeah. felt it felt like it was it felt like an acting scene i just yeah. for, I, for I, any meanie fans that um there's a, a movie he's in called the van right which is a very low-fi irish comedy based on a ronnie doyle book and his wife in it has maybe three or four scenes but he has real chemistry with her yeah and the the, the kind of like oh, the kids are away, suddenly we might get a chance to, to bunk up, is just way more believable with somebody he shares half the screen time that he's already had with Keiko in Deep Space Nine, you know? And it's yeah. like, if he's, if he's well-served, I think he could have brought that a bit more. 
and it's it's too bad because as I say, this is the only well, Cisco's got a family, but this is this is the only, you know, traditional father, mother, husband, wife, child relationship that we really see yeah. in the franchise on some level. Um and it's it's just odd it's it's very odd to me that the writers consistently don't do it well. <laughs> like you'd think some writer would just be like, I can write the family scenes really well, so let me do it. Um and I don't know how much of that is just the acting or whatever. But uh, let's see. It here. is it is fascinating that they are the only real relationship in all of Star Trek, isn't it? Is it, why do you think that is? I guess me and Amy started talking about it, but why do you think that's the case? I don't know. Um, maybe well, uh, the short answer is probably then you got to hire more people. Uh, otherwise, you end up having like all of the people who are in the main credits being married to each other. Yeah. Um. But I don't know. I guess it's just <sighs> Star Trek isn't really interested in that, I guess. Yeah, I think the stories are a little bit hamstrung if they have other people to be concerned about on some level. Yeah, and it's, I mean, uh, whether or not this is a fair criticism, Star Trek's pretty cold emotionally most yeah. of the time. And I don't mean that across the board. It's just like the stories they're telling are not like, super relatable emotional stories. Well, it's not norm- interpersonal. Normal. Yeah. And so you end up with no real reason to tell these stories except when you're going out of your way to do it. And if you were going to go out of your way to do it, you're only going to have, like, one family. I mean, I guess technically DS9 is the most they've ever done because they've got Keiko and O'Brien and they've... Yeah. Uh, Cisco I guess and Jake. you can count Cisco. Yeah, Cisco yep. and Jake. That's a family, but there's no uh, mother figure. Um, yeah. N- uh, and Nog you've got and, uh... Nog, yep. Uh, and oh, that's David true, Duchovny. yeah. Rom, 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 Nog, Rom, and Rom. Uh, Quark. Um, and as- I mean, that's that's quite a bit, for or quite a few for, for Star Trek. Uh, that's true, yeah. It's usually, usually the only familiar relationship you get is when Sarek shows up. <laughs> and it's totally unemotional. It's just people, yeah. or, people uh, talking about or, it. Or, um, shit, what's Troy's mother's name? Oh, Luxana. Luxana, yeah. Interesting. We yeah, all know how great we'll, those episodes are. We'll, we'll delve into uh, more of it as it moves along, but I think it's been interesting. But, Neil, before we go to patron thoughts, this is your first time watching DS9 through, I think, yes. right? So yeah. thoughts so far as we head into second season. I don't know how far ahead of you you are. I you know I'm I'm kind of watching as we go. Um, I think I keep that what I know ultimately becomes the strength of the show, which is that um, the kind of ambivalent tone at the end that things will continue next week and that the characters will bring this stuff with them. I think is working for and against it as I watch it. So when I see an episode that ends with on an ambivalent note. Uh, like the one where Odo and Kira at the end, she's saying, can you ever trust me again? I forget which episode. Necessary exactly evil. Yeah. Necessary evil. Great. So she, so the end of that episode, I kind of left with a spring on my step going, this is fantastic. We're getting into it now. There's like, there's shades of gray here, but it also means that I'm really wanting more maybe of simple episodes like this, plot driven episodes like this. I'm wanting stuff like O'Brien to kill his replicant version because wouldn't that be an interesting thing for the character to carry with? Yeah. And that's yeah. maybe not fair at this stage to put on the show. Yeah. And I think that for, you know, the Trek community always talks about DS9 as a outlier, which I think it is, especially yeah. later on as it runs. But it's also, I think it's good to keep in mind that it, it is never not 90s Star Trek. Like it, yes. it'll, it'll always, 
it'll always deal with things kind of like this. And even when they start really getting heavy into the serialization, they still have a lot of standalone episodes going on. Yeah. Uh, so it's it, you kind of have to temper it. And I, I think that the, the second season is doing a good job, like you say, with Necessary Evil. Just ending stuff like that and ending this episode yeah. like they do, it's not neatly tied in a bow and you can still do stuff with it. But it's also... It's like it's a fun enough hour or 45 minutes of TV to watch on its own. Yeah, totally. totally. Anyway, let's go to uh, we'll take a break. We'll play an audio clip and then me, Neil and Clay are going to come back, give our thoughts, read some patron thoughts, and then we will call it a day. He's perfect. He looks just like me. Apparently he thought he was you. No doubt they thought that would make it more convincing. We believe there was some triggering device programmed into him that would take over during the peace talks. The government scientists have learned how to do remarkable things with replicants. Well, what was he programmed to do? We're not entirely sure. Assassinate someone at the peace talks, we think. Perhaps our entire delegation. They were tipped off by one of the informants in their government. There was a rumor that you'd been abducted and replaced by a replicant. We've had people looking for you ever since. There was no way to prove he wasn't you. He passed a physical exam with flying colors. And he sure knew his way around the station. I had more warriors attached to my head than he could count. Now I know why. We were trying to shut him out of every sensitive security area while they were searching for you. He must have wondered what the hell was going on with all of us. By the time we'd learned of your rescue, he'd already gotten away from us and was on his way here. I wonder why he was coming back. If it were me, I'd be trying to warn somebody there was something wrong at the station. Maybe in a strange sort of way. He was trying to be a hero. All right, everybody. So if you support the show on patreon.com slash the Penske file, you are able to give thoughts about upcoming episodes. We read them on the podcast. We'll do that right now. Nick Sergi writes, Whispers, they're a quiet episode. It's true sci-fi. It's the replicant story we wanted without the budget of Blade Runner. It works because we already care for O'Brien. Even if you know he's not the right O'Brien, he, the episode is still compelling because both O'Briens are compelling. We feel for this guy. Agreed. Um, I think we, we talked a little bit about that. Um, O'Brien must suffer becomes a trope throughout the rest of the series. Um, yeah, I'm really good, looking forward to that. For good or for bad. He's got some ridiculous ones too. So uh, some very good ones and some very uh, odd ones. Holly you McLaughlin, know, right? You know, you know it would be really good to as a stress reliever at the end of a tough day for O'Brien? Just getting back to work on one of those eight-foot party subs. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, what's Pulling the, it out inch by inch. It's, it's the Simpsons episode where Homer wins <laughs> yeah. one, right? And it gets moldy or whatever. He gets sick from eating I, it. I'll tell you, I would be there like every time I would go bigger. I'd be like, all right, let's see what you can do next time. Let's try 15 feet. The, uh, the station is under attack and the lights start to flicker as Clay's uh, replicating a 50-foot party all of stuff. the power is being drained to deck seven. <laughs> Sorry, guys. It's like it's another episode of the episode of The Simpsons where the, um, the lemon tree episode where they're trying to, they're trying to uh, outrun the people from uh, Shelbyville. With uh, in Flanders's RV, but it it's only going so fast because there's an energy drain, and they cut back, and Homer's cooking a turkey. <laughs> uh, Holly McLaughlin writes, "Whispers." I completely fell for it the first time I saw it, but every subsequent viewing, I remember it a little bit quicker. Very unusual suspects. Yeah, the uh, the twist at the end. Um, obviously, the the go to for twist. Oh, what what do you, what do you guys say is the go to? reference for a twist at the end of a movie uh what do you mean go to reference 
like if someone were to say name name the movie with a twist i think it's sixth sense is the first yeah. one that would pop on people's sixth mind sense. yeah um usual suspects although probably problematic to talk about that these days um christopher nolan the Prestige? i guess i guess the 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 biggest one i can think of that everyone would reference before sixth sense would probably be like psycho yeah that's that's a good one. Oh, the crying game oh yeah Irish. yeah crying game would be I think that the sixth sense is good because um, how simple it is. If you asked me to explain the plot of the usual uh, the usual suspects, I probably wouldn't be able to do it well. Except I'd say at the very end, Kevin Spacey's guys are so sick. Like I, yeah. I know that's the answer. <laughs> I don't know why that matters when I look back on that movie. Yeah, I've seen yeah. it multiple times. Seven. Um, that's a good one. Yeah, seven. I, I will seven. say, my I I remember when the sixth sense came out. It blew my mind so hard. Um, and I was trying to explain to my dad how good of a movie it was and that he should go see it. And as I started explaining it, he goes, is Bruce Willis dead the whole time? And I was like, <laughs> what? What? <laughs> no. <laughs> you, but you should still go see it. It's, it's, <laughs> I actually, a friend, I of mine, a friend of mine went to see, uh, w- thank you for joining us on the M. Night Shyamalan podcast. Uh, we, uh, a friend of mine went to see it. And he was telling me about it afterwards, and he was like, oh, my God, it was the most unbelievable movie I've ever seen. And uh, he told me afterwards that he had walked in late, and so he missed the first scene where Bruce Willis gets shot. Oh, okay. And so he, he watched the rest of the movie, oh. and so when they turned it at the end, it hit him like a friggin' train. And he was yeah. like, I, oh, my God, it was unbelievable. I was going to write them a letter. It was so good. <laughs> and then I went back and I watched it again, and I saw the scene that I missed, and I was like, Oh, of course he's dead the whole time. He gets yeah, shot in the yeah, first yeah. five minutes. I I remember being confounded by it though. I I think they show you so little of that scene that yeah. you are okay with it when yeah. it happens. And they they do such a good job too. Like it, uh, it's the fact that they go out of their way at the end to backtrack and flashback and show you how well they've set it up. Yeah, is makes it all worth it. Well, that's my example of how Whispers isn't on that level, really. Like when yeah. you go back and watch it, you're kind of like, well, does Molly know, or why wouldn't Molly know? And like, why don't they tell Jake Cisco? And uh, does Kira know? And uh, and why is why is Keiko standing right next to the replicants, even though she fears him? And why does she care about his day and stuff like that? Uh, but Six yeah. Sense really holds up on its own. Yeah, you're right. This episode Let's isn't see. quite as good as the greatest movie twist in the last 30 years. Probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stephen Cobb <laughs> writes, uh, Whispers, everyone seems very nonchalant about the whole replicant thing. The emotional reaction of everyone seeing the fake O'Brien die seems underwhelming, but maybe Cole Meany did a great job of making us, the audience, care about the fake O'Brien, in contrast to the DS9 crew who are not privy to the voiceovers given by fake O'Brien. I'd be remiss if I did not compare it to Rutger Hauer's death. Rutger had the better last line. I think that's a good point. The crew is not aware that how O'Brien O'Brien is in this one, the replicant. So maybe they don't they don't care. They see him as a science experiment gone wrong, and that's maybe why they have that negative reaction. That's true. I guess I guess you could argue that they don't realize what they've done until after they do it, like until after they shoot him. Like because he's they he's treated as an enemy combatant, basically, right? even though he himself doesn't realize that. And so it's it's you could argue that they don't realize what he actually is until it's too late until after he's been shot. That's true. That's that maybe that's why the last line is so effective because Which it's Which is like almost the, now that I say that, it's almost more interesting. Yeah. I I wish I wish they had now that I say that I wish they had leaned into that and like really 
made that kind of what they did. But because uh, I think that's that's really fascinating to me too. Is like you know you're treating this guy as as a as a weapon basically, but he doesn't realize he's a weapon. He wasn't planning on doing anything weird. Yeah, um, and only after you you know it, it's the it's the when you see the humanity oh. of the person that you're fighting kind of thing, you know? It's 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 a very much an episode about... Oh, you, you still, yeah, sorry, the, the Skype or Discord's kicking out. But I think that it's, a, it's very much an episode um, based on two different points of view, never seeing the other side's point of view. Mm, and yeah. it's to, like, very tragic results. And they, they probably could have leaned in on that a little bit more. Uh, Immunities, a podcast where aliens colonize, organize, and immunize the Earth. Whispers, love this one so much. The way Odo and Jake seem to be on his side and then turn against him are so well done, forcing the audience to gradually realize that O'Brien is the problem, not everyone else. And with this, the Torture O'Brien episode template becomes a proven winner. Yeah, Clay, you you had mentioned you like the Odo scene um, just because of the turn of it, or was yeah. there some other reason? Yeah. No, I mean, you know, in a, in a, uh, a body snatcher movie, you always have to have that moment where the person that you're confiding in turns into one of them. You know that's that's always like the uh, the last the the last step before before the climax is when you know the person who's on your side is ends up you know starts going Rawr. yeah right. <laughs> yeah um ooh we should do that movie for one of the other podcasts the that's that's Star Trek adjacent um, yeah Invasion of the Body Snatchers with the best non Star Trek Leonard Nimoy role ever <laughs> um except for the uh. Is he's the guy in the the monorail episode? Yes. Is that Leonard? Yeah, okay. Yes, yeah. I, I, oh, that's my favorite. His best. That's his best. <laughs> my um, favorite Simpsons joke is he. I shouldn't have stopped for that haircut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, it's uh, you know that that's that's a good turn, and it's and it's good that it's Odo, you know, because Odo is Odo is the one who is who is going to be all in on figuring out what's going on, and like, yeah. you know, he's he's going to yeah. trust O'Brien. O'Brien's going to trust him. And uh, so having him turn on O'Brien as well is 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 the perfect character to pick. Like you, it wouldn't have worked as well with Kira or anybody else. Yeah, Kira's Dax not really in this terrible. episode. Oh, Dax isn't even in this episode, is she? She's in the background in one shot. That's yeah. Kira's, Kira's in it for about thirty seconds too. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it it fits yeah. in that we can't see those characters because it would ruin the mystery of what's right, going right. on. Right. Right. Uh, Kyle Barrett says whispers. Cal <laughs> Barrett says, Whispers, she this just, episode wouldn't work half as well if the lead character was not O'Brien. He's the everyman on DS9, a regular, hardworking guy who wants a little to do with most of the sci-fi shenanigans that occur throughout the series, and he's so perfect to be the one having to deal with his co-workers seemingly becoming compromised. This makes it all the more unsettling when it's revealed that the good old dependable O'Brien is the one who has been changed. If this Patreon comment were a pithy quote on the cover of a DVD, then I guess I'd say it's a must-watch twice episode. Happily, it's not, so I'll just say that it's pretty great. Eric McGowan writes, Whispers, this is one of my favorite episodes of season two of DS9. It's creepy uh, with an effective turn. Cole Meany and the rest of the cast do great work. Last comment, Matthew Ross writes, Whispers, another O'Brien-centric episode, which is fine. At first, you don't know what the story is with O'Brien and his seemingly dysfunctional family. Maybe it was a Tuesday he didn't throw out the trash. I enjoyed the fact that he seemed to think everyone else had changed and he was kind of an, an invasion of the body snatchers in reverse. However, the story began to drag for me and I wanted them to get back to the point of, duh, of course he's a robot. And with all the robots, androids, and Star Trek, you'd have to begin to wonder how unique Data really is. Anyway, the paranoia was otherwise carried out well, and I guess O'Brien is not one you forget at the tip to tip the holidays if you want to shower, uh, want your shower working. Yeah, and um, in the Patreon comments, people would, uh, sort of disagreed about whether or not he's a robot. I think I think it's pretty clear that he's not an android. Um, at that point, I, I kind of wish 
when they mentioned the term replicant, somebody went, can we, can we use that word? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or it's just, they're, they're ho- someone's holding a contract in the back yeah. showing the uh, like approval <laughs> to use this term. Uh, it's actually that's it. spelled R-E-P-L-E-C-A-N-T. <laughs> Replicant, not like Blade Runner or anything like that. It's replicate with an E in the end, so it's actually a French word. Do you guys have uh, anything else you wanted to say? Or let's go to uh, final thoughts. So, Neil, you can lead us off with your final thoughts on our one to five scale. Why don't you uh, say, you know, give you a little wrap up at the end and give us a rating? Oh, the line's dropping. Oh, he's still there. Oh, can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, if you can hear me, then I'll just talk. Yeah, that's, that sounds fine. Do it. Great. That sounds like my relationship. Um, so I think, as much as I probably sound like I was a bit negative, it's probably a four for me. Because um, I do think at the end elevates it, um, definitely. And I do think as well that it's a great showcase for Meanie. And if he is going to suffer a lot more in a lot more episodes, well, I think he did a pretty good job in this one. So I'm kind of looking forward to seeing that happened which sounds really creepy um i did think as well though like it yeah in that way that i talked about giving deep space nine the benefit of the doubt so far i am probably filling in some gaps with my own goodwill and intent for him and the show and saying like oh that's an interesting choice when actually it seems like a lot of these decisions were made because they were running out of time right (laughs) yeah it's what you bring into it i suppose is what you get out of it yeah Uh, clay what do do you want to give this one yeah i'd give it a four as well I mean, you know, the problem we run into with this doing the show is uh, 20-something years after it was on um, is we have plenty of time. We have the runtime of an episode to talk about all the things that they should or maybe shouldn't have done and could or couldn't have done. For what they had to do in the time that they had to do it, this is a pretty damn good episode, I think. So I, I, would, say it's a, yeah. I would say it's a four. Yeah, it's a, it's a four for me as well. It's a strong... Uh, we'll get, deal with this in DS9 is kind of to this point been okay with the characters and their stories have been relatively weak like they're not able to pair a sci-fi story with the character work that they've done to this point um, and I think that this is a switch of it this feels like a very effective TNG episode that makes more sense on DS9 on some level Yeah, and I, I think that the the mystery is strong. The first time I saw this, I was like blown away by the ending. It's maybe not as strong on rewatch, but I think it's a really effective character episode for O'Brien and a sci-fi story that keeps me really satisfied at the end. I think I think this one is an is it sneaks up on you. It uh because as I was watching it, I was I was just thinking like, yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, I was into it, but I was like, okay, what's the what's the thing gonna be like? Is he on a hall? Like you're saying, is he on a hall deck? And blah blah blah. So when they hit you at the end of it, it's like, oh, that was not what I was expecting. And it like really changes the way everything that came before it. So it but it it is a sneaky one because it's a very easy one to kind of sidestep because it isn't super flashy. Um if you're folding laundry while you're watching it, you're probably just gonna be not really paying attention to it. Yeah. yeah. Um but yeah, if it's it's a it's a good one. That's about it, guys. Thank you very much for coming on. Neil, thanks for coming on. Uh, thanks for having oh, me, my... Wes. And shout out to my fellow patrons. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, you guys can check I hope out. I didn't. Well, I think I did let us down because I think I said ambivalent when I meant ambiguous. So I did let us down. Oh, 
well, I'll edit that That's out. And just... No more patrons. You have ruined it for <laughs> yeah, everyone. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. I'm like O'Brien. I must suffer. Yeah. <laughs> well, this, uh, if you guys enjoyed uh, Neil's presence, this is what the patron, uh, the captain tier on Patreon can get you. But uh, it's been fun. Neil, you you were the, the first sort of example of doing this because you had a podcast and because people should check out your uh, Roy Keane verses because it is interesting. Thank I'm not you. just saying that. I, I did listen. There's only five <laughs> or six episodes, I think. And I, I listened to it without knowing yeah. who this person was. So I think that's a, a tribute to you. Holy shit. Uh, you must be more interested by him than I am now. Because yeah. if you listen and don't know who he is, but find him fascinating, holy fuck, that's I like, do. wow, you must want to marry this guy. It's it's a clever it's a clever idea to take someone, a celebrity, and then break them down into a sort of s- separate segments of their personality and sort of explore each and every one of them. Um, and also... That would, that would be a know, great episode of it, too. Speaking to someone who never saw him play a game of football right. and just listened to the podcast and get him to describe what you think Roy Keane is like. You must think he's like some sort of, like, Maximus in Gladiator. Yeah, well... <laughs> <laughs> and, and also, and also, you know, even stuff that might be boring, you say it with a good accent, and it becomes instantly listenable. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. That's uh, <laughs> yeah. That's my. Uh, I guess I'll go. Maybe this will be my sort of sign-off question before this. But um, Bashir and O'Brien, as they are starting to become friends on the show, uh, they're starting to mimic each other's accents as like sort of a mocking joke <gasps> between them. And I don't think either one is very good at mimicking the other one's accents. And I was kind of, <laughs> I was kind of surprised by that because my general sense of just going over to Britain and everything is that the British are, are fairly good at inter- uh, mimicking other British people's accents. So, Neil, can you shed some insight as an Irish, not being British, but as uh, someone from that part yeah, of the world? Did you have any insight um, into it? No, no. British people are terrible at doing Irish accents. Uh, or <laughs> they're offensively bad so you you, um, you think this matches the uh, the reality bad yeah it's actually it's the most realistic that star trek gets <laughs> and you know they're they're um do you th- they're, i think because well it's our fault it's our fault we market this version to the world meanie isn't like that at all but we market this version to the world that you know diddly eye and we've uh, loads of crack and a pot of gold and a pint of Guinness and all that shit. Yeah, because it gets the tourists in, and then it gets thrown back at us by people doing funny accents, and we kind of just have to go, "Oh, that was funny, I guess." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, do you think that? Yeah. Uh, have you heard? Uh, do you can anything spring to mind about Colmini doing Siddig's accent? Have you have? Did you notice that in any of the episodes I've seen recently? Yeah, he, he's he he's basically just doing a kind of posh voice, isn't he? Like yes. a, a fancy voice. Yes. Um, which actually, I sort of think it, with the character of Bashir makes sense, you know. I mean, you could do the same with Patrick Stewart, but it wouldn't make sense. But Bashir is this kind of lausch fay. He could be a romantic poet in another era, except he's just a creepy doctor in space in this show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's kind of what Meanie's doing. So that's fine. Uh, but yeah, I think I heard a story, uh, Fadil at some um, uh, Star Trek convention talking about going drinking on Patrick's Day with Meanie, and he still can't do the accent. So I'm not expecting it any better. <laughs> <laughs> it would be great if Bashir's return jab at him doing uh, O'Brien's accent was the most stereotypical, over-the-top, Lucky Charms Irish accent <laughs> you could ever gin up. Yeah. Just uh, 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 bring out the long ladder style. Yes. We need, we, need, we need to revisit those people, I think, at some point. But uh, let's see here. That's about it. Guys, you can check out the social media links. Twitter and Facebook will be in the video description or the blurb below. Patreon.com slash the Penske file. Uh, yes, Penske file. If you want to support the show, that's Patreon.com slash the Penske file. Um, 
Discord. We're recording this on Discord, but I set up a Discord server. If anyone uses Discord, you can go to the link that'll be below and you can log into the chat room on Discord, leave your thoughts, all that stuff. Non sequitur ending. We're running long, but I don't know if you guys had anything that you wanted to uh, talk about with the end. We've done a lot of non sequitur stuff throughout this episode, I think. So don't feel like it's under WrestleMania pressure. today, and I'm very excited. Yep. WrestleMania. Uh, who's, what's the headline match? Uh, I guess it depends on who you ask, but I'm uh, I'm I'm looking forward to uh, AJ Styles versus Shinsei Nakamura, which is going okay. to be uh, very very good. It's uh, WrestleMania. I don't think I have too much else here. I will uh, I will say I was at the um, Awesome Con last weekend, um, and I decided I was going to buy a Star Trek badge, and I was very conflicted over which one to buy like i was i was very conflicted like i was i was gonna i was gonna get the uh i was originally gonna get the tng badge but they also had the voyager badge which i've also really liked but the discovery badge as much as i don't like the show the design is so good yeah so which one you ended up with is i ended up getting the uh tos movie badge because i (laughs) I, I was trying to think, I like all of those other ones, but as I've stated many times, that's where my allegiance lies, is with the TOS movies, so I went for that one. I'll Good. probably get I'll probably get the TNG one eventually. You know, it's seeing it up close, for some reason it was a little underwhelming. I don't know why. It's a little dated. Yeah. It's a little dated of a uh, design. It's very, like, very round in a way that isn't particularly enjoyable. Yeah, and it's more beveled than I thought it was. So, like, the... the, um, the the ellipse behind the uh, star thing is like indented and beveled a bit, which kind of threw me off. And also yeah. the star itself has like a very thin black uh, lining, like out like pinstripe to the, to the badge. And uh, I don't know. It was just, it kind of threw me off. So I went, I went old school and uh, I, I'm very happy that I did. Neil, do you have any non sequiturs you want to bring up? Anything that's happening uh, over, uh, over on your side? Yeah, uh, I'll be quick though. I know we're running long. Uh, I also uh, will be watching WrestleMania, but because I'm in the UK, it's phenomenally difficult to watch it. Mm. I would either have to stay up till 5 a.m. or what I'm going to do is watch it tomorrow when you don't get the Twitter interaction, Uh, the sense of it being live. It's really difficult and I'm 33 and it's still something that's causing me headaches. (laughs) Um, I I, I, I have to say... um... Also, to suck up to the to the Irishman on the podcast, I'm very disappointed that Becky Lynch is not going to be on the main show and she's relegated to the pre-show. But that's just me. Do you get the it's pre-show? You said that the, Becky uh... Lynch is actually my second cousin. What? <laughs> no, she's not. Not all Irish no, people are that. I'll be, close. I'll, no, the reason she's probably I, a third cousin. The reason I reacted that way is because I actually know somebody who is very good friends with her, and it was very it was very shocking Holy when shit. I found that out. So I I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Seamus is from where I'm from, um, which is pretty good. Oh, nice. Um, Let's see. Uh, but no, what I wanted to say really quickly, what I want to plug is there is an amazing Twitter account, uh, which kind of only really makes sense if you love Star Trek and are Irish, but I should give it a plug. <laughs> it's uh, and it's Doyle Trek. <laughs> what is it again? It's, it's at Doyle Trek, D-O-Y-L-E Trek, T-R-E-K. And it's basically screenshots of O'Brien with funny captions put on that make him seem like he's a scumbag from Dublin in space. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they're very funny. There's weird homoerotic ones with Bashir. There's ones making fun of Keiko. Uh, what, it's just, it turns him into a boozing creep in space, yeah. which is great. Have you seen the, uh, oh, the comic strip? The, what's it called? The Day in the Life of Miles O'Brien or something like that? Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, it's I'd really good. That. I can't, that's not the actual name. I'm screwing that up. But if you, if you, if you Google 
O'Brien comic strip. It, it's great. It's like nine panels per strip of just him standing behind the uh, the transporter uh, panel, just yep. staring blankly, and then someone will like radio <laughs> in, and he'll go to reach, and I'm like, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to talk to you, and then that'll that's the entire thing. It's just him. Yeah. Existing that's in the right. engine room, the pointlessness of his ex- of his existence. Over that's there. great. Uh, I don't think I have any. No, just uh, random YouTube stuff. Which I like. Once you once you watch one video on YouTube, YouTube is like, oh, this is all you want to watch, huh? So here's here's everything that has to do with oh, it. Oh, it's terrible. I guess the uh, the minimalism is like a fad that's kind of happening now. And I watched a bunch of them, and the, it's so bizarre. Um. Basically, I guess to be a minimalist in this day and age, it means you have to buy a bunch of products and then just organize your shit, essentially. Um, <laughs> so it seems it seems very, very odd to me. There's no real, uh, like, ethics behind it outside of just being organized and dressing in all black. So I, I don't I don't know. It's, that, it's very odd. That seems like the most modern era that we live in thing I can think of, where someone is selling minimalism by having yeah. you buy more stuff. Yeah, it's like you it's buy like, more stuff so you can throw more of your stuff out, but you have to buy the new stuff first. Well, I, I I watched the first one like, oh, a minimalist. That'll be interesting. And he opens it up and it's just him with his computer saying, I use my MacBook to connect to my desktop, which I then run through these microphones. It's like nothing about this is fucking minimalist. This is yeah. this is all this shit that you bought. And now you're just telling me that you're because your files are organized on your computer. You're somehow um, above the fray. I do have a non sequitur about the non sequitur section, and I would just like to say I'm really happy that we do this at the end of the podcast because, like, there's only five people listening now to this. Yes. And I just really don't like it when people do this shit at the front of podcasts, you know? Like, there's a a couple podcasts that I listen to where it's like, okay, yeah, talk about your day for 15 minutes while I am waiting to hear you talk about Flat Earth. You know, with no uh, timestamp letting you know how to skip past it. Yeah, you know what I mean, like like yeah. a, a, a a back and forth a little bit at the beginning is fine, but I just oh, when people just go on for for like multiple multiple minutes at the beginning of podcasts, <laughs> not about the the thing that they're talking yeah. about, drives me nuts. It's a big thing by uh, comedian hosted podcasts. They like yes. to do that. it's sort of a way yeah. to test out material. I think um, there was one I, podcast by uh, uh, Do you know the comedian Kyle Kinane? Yes. I well he has a podcast that the the concept of the podcast is like talking about conspiracy theories and all of the stuff that I like to hear people talk about. Um but I've listened to two or three episodes and some of the episodes they don't even get to the topic. <laughs> and it's like an, oh. an, it's like an hour plus of them just shooting the shit about stuff that has nothing to do with with you know whatever uh, the Kennedy assassination or whatever the thing is in the name of the title and it's just like ugh. God. Yep. I want to know yep. who was on the grassy knoll. No, we'll we'll continue to have these things at the end. People seem to like them, so I, I enjoy keeping them at the end. It's a way to uh, keep people interested, I guess, all the way to the end after they hear all the plugs and everything. But that's about it. Neil, Clay, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Wes. Thanks for having me. Yeah, guys, we will uh, we'll see you next time with, I think, Paradise. Yeah, Paradise is the next episode, so that'll be out in a couple days. Until then, have a good one. <laughs>